Welcome to the Lori Clark Show. My next guest is Shannon Christensen. She was born and raised in Kelowna and lives there with her husband and two young boys. With a BA in psychology and a master's of counseling in psychology, specializing in forensics, she has a passion for working with marginalized populations and used this drive to start Mamas for Mamas, which is a grassroots project that has since become a national nonprofit organization dedicating to reducing the negative impact of poverty on low-income mothers and their families. Shannon has been recognized as a top 40 under 40 recipient, a woman to watch, and was a top three finalist for Woman of the Year through the City of Kelowna Civic and Community Awards. Most recently, she has co-authored a best-selling book about motherhood. I am so excited to listen to her story in this new episode of The Lori Clark Show. Please welcome Shannon. I have a lot of questions, but I really want to know how it all started. And I, I read in my research that, that he, he passed and yeah. it was kind of an impetus for what you're doing right now. Um, I was finishing my master's in forensic psychology and I was doing my internship at Youth Forensic Psychiatric Services, which is a, a beautiful space where individuals who've been convicted of crimes, murder, sexual assault, uh, and then general crimes like robbing liquor stores and stuff, they would be referred to youth forensics. And then I had the opportunity and the privilege to treat them for recidivism um, reoffender treatment. I was helping them to not do that again. <laughs> um, and my goal in, in getting into that field was to really help youth like I was. I was a very, very high risk youth. If my mom wasn't as supportive as she was, and my dad wasn't uh, as scary as he was um, as a lawyer with all the power in the world, you know, I... He, they got me into the the help that I needed as a, as a kid. I was um, brutally depressed, highly anxious, self medicating. Um, I was I almost dropped out of school. Um, I had to get bilateral rib resections in my grade eleven year and had to drop out of basketball. I played AAA, so I lost my identity, and I really didn't know who I was, and I wasn't good at anything. Um, I was mediocre at best at some things, and then I found psychology. And I fell in love with it. And I knew I'd found my thing. So I got into it. My dad and I were like, you know, he supported the hell out of me with it. Um, I was really like, maybe I'm not a huge failure. Maybe I'm not, you know, going to end up on the street. I remember somebody very, very close to me telling me once I graduated university that she was so proud, not just that I graduated university, but that I wasn't basically a sex worker. And I realized then that she, that's what they saw. Like, that's how, that's how low they thought I was. So tell me about that, if you don't mind, because no, not at all, you know, I, I feel like if I can get you to share all those pieces that you bring up, then people will know you better. And yeah. so you lost your identity. Yeah. I just, I never really had one. Honestly, Lori, I was a middle child of five. My sister was a world champion in karate by the time she was 14. My older sister was a ballerina that was probably going to go into the Canadian School of Ballet. Um, I was surrounded by highly successful type A overachievers. And I barely made second string on all the teams that I tried for. And I know I really only got on second string because my dad was the coach's lawyer. Like I'm fully aware of the nepotism that occurred to keep me in a space where at least I could try to belong. I was never pretty enough. I didn't get boobs till I was 19. I was weirdly shaped and didn't know 
how to do my hair. I didn't like my makeup. I looked like I was 40 when I was 16. I remember my girlfriend, Helena, would, you know, try and help me be a little bit more like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, but I'd wear like corporate dresses and do my hair. Like it was bizarre. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Um, But I was dealing with cyclical depression for most of my life. So sometimes I would be quite good and you would never be able to tell that I struggled. Um, But other times, you know, I wouldn't get out of bed for a long time. I was in the psych ward when I was 16 after a suicide attempt. Um, And I really truly felt like there was nothing in this world for me. And I believed that with every inch of my soul. So when I went in to do my master's, my goal was to make sure that any kid that felt like me didn't get doped up with Seroquel and antipsychotics and lose a life, a year of their life. I don't remember from 14 to 15 of my life. I have zero recollection. I don't know what happened. All I know is my mom took care of me and I didn't go to school. And she was a teacher and I was able to finish my education and start high school. And I finished grade nine wearing white eyeliner and pink eyeshadow and being the president of the prefects, anti-bullying, you know, girl. Yeah. And I started high school smoking cigarettes with a black leather jacket. I dyed my hair black and I was telling everybody to go fuck themselves on a regular. (laughs) And that was Shannon Kimmett, you know? And I always joke Shannon Kimmett was this badass, like scary person who didn't understand the power of kindness. You know, I used fear to to govern my life. I used intimidation to govern my life. And when you say use fear to govern your life, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I yeah. wasn't a badass girl. I was a, I was lippy. Um, yeah. I, right. And I didn't have what, what you're saying. I, I, my, my family upbringing was very different. Um, but I know the fear that you're speaking about. Yeah. The fear of, um, well, it's you, when you don't know who you are or have any frame of reference. It's terrifying. It is. There comes a time in your life where you're, you're 14, 15, and you start seeing other people n- learn who they are. They, yep. they step out into some measure of identity and they begin to work with who they are. Yep. I didn't know that about myself. I was just totally unworthy, low yep. self-esteem, I was super insecure and I was terribly afraid. And I think it was the unworthiness that I didn't believe that I was worth holding space in the world. No, why would you? No one, you know, no one told you that you were. And even if they did, you wouldn't believe them. Never. And what was it that made you not believe them? Um, well, they didn't have to spend every day with me. They didn't know how awful I was. They didn't know how useless I was. They didn't know how annoying I was. Yeah. They didn't know that, and bless her heart, she's apologized for it, but they didn't know that my mom made up a song about me. Well, she's going to drive me crazy, going to drive me insane, going to give me a heart attack. What's her name? Shannon. Say it again. And then my whole siblings, Shannon, what's her game? Going to drive me insane. Like I was the least likable person on the planet as far as I was concerned. I'm sure the listeners are going, okay, so you sing that song. We hear, are you in relationship with your mama? And she's one of my all-time favorite people in the world because when you know better, you do better. Ah. <laughs> and she is yes. such a badass yes. powerhouse. She's my best friend, yeah. you know, and we had a I very know. difficult relationship growing yeah. up because yeah. I am my father. Yep. I am the Irish. We are Irish indigenous. So my three sisters are black hair, olive skin, beautiful indigenous women. I'm also an indigenous woman, but I have red hair and 
blue eyes and freckles. My dad was very, very Irish. I acted like him. I looked like him. I was going to be a lawyer like him. He said, no, he wouldn't pay for it. So I went for forensic psych close enough. Um, it was like, I, she left him because he was an asshole at that time. He's, he was a great man when he passed, but at the time that they were, you know, together, she wasn't the nicest man. And so, you know, she left him and I always felt like she identified the same thing with me. Like if, if she couldn't like my dad, how could she like me? Wow. You know, and you and know, that's there a master's are so, to understand. Oh, and that's, I mean, that's good. That is a master's to understand. That's yeah. almost like, you know, some people don't even get that in the lifetime. No, it took a bit. And, and when he died, it was the day after my wedding and it was very surprising. It took everybody by shock. And the crazy part was my mom and dad had been divorced for 17 years. They were back together again the month before I got married. Talk about a trip. So my mom is back with my dad and they walked me down the aisle together. It was, it was like the best day of my life. Honestly, I was so proud and excited to have them there Yeah, and, and to be happy together. And he danced literally his heart out, I guess, because the next morning he was hiking uh, before gift opening. He had all the gifts in his truck and yeah. went up for a little hike at Knox Mountain and he had an electrical heart failure. It was, there was nothing they could do. He was hiking with an individual with medical training. And um, I just remember knowing in that moment when I woke up in the honeymoon suite, there were sailboats all over the water, sorry. And he was, a, he was a sailor. And I said to Dylan, something doesn't feel right. Oh I could God. feel it in my gut. I said, something doesn't feel right. And he goes, yeah, a lot of people got way too drunk last night. My brother broke the suit we, rest, we rented for him. And I'm like, no, that's not it. And then we got to my mom's place to get organized for the gift opening. And I saw my mom just distraught. And I remember thinking, just don't let it be Nana, you know, Um, because my Nana was my person. She's who I went to five days a week when I was growing up, when I was that kid that no one wanted around and she wanted me around. She always wanted me around. So I thought like, God, please just don't let it be Nana. And then I see Nana's face and the relief I felt was palpable. And then I heard it was my dad. I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's just as bad, (laughs) you know? And in that moment, I realized it was up to me to keep the family together. I can't explain why. I can't give a reasoning to that. All I can say is that he was the glue when everyone fell apart to me. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, my mom can't be the glue. She doesn't like me, so she won't keep me in. So I better be the glue so I can stay part of this family. Because I thought if he was gone, I would be too. Wow. And it was devastating. But it allowed me to realize how important connection is and how no money in the world can replace your sense of belonging. So we received half a million dollars each or about six, about 700,000 actually all in. And I thought, I don't want this, but I have it. So I'm going to make it mean something. Hmm. And I remember giving a big chunk to my mom because I knew that's what my dad would want. And she wasn't in the will yet because they had just gotten back together. And it really technically all should have gone to her. Right. Right. Because so that's what normally happens. And so I just, I thought this is my opportunity to shift from, from a space of scarcity to a space of abundance. Hmm. And I 
looked at my brand new husband and I said, so I know I said I didn't want babies until I finished my doctorate, but I think we should start trying now. Now, now it's happening. <laughs> Cause I don't want to die with a bunch of degrees on my wall and no legacy for, for the children that, yes. that we want, that no children yes. to share the legacy with. Yes. And so three months later I was pregnant and yeah. we had just put in an offer on a house and I was starting my master's all within a month. Bit silly. But those moments of despair and fear of losing everything. Yes. And I don't mean money. No. Really made me realize that it was up to me. Yes. Like it is up to me to determine what my future is going to look like. Yeah. So we had this baby. He was born seven weeks early. We almost lost him in the birth. I almost died in the birth. And I thought, what the hell? I'm 23. I'm healthy. Like my husband had gone back out of town the night before. I was all by myself. I'm like, why? Well, you know what, Lori? My little baby James was born on my parents' wedding anniversary. Unbelievable. You can't explain that with logic. So having that baby so early was really tough. And then I had my second baby, Jacob, and it was like a better experience. He was born on time. Everything was healthy. Everything was good, but he was colic and he was cranky. And he was from day one, his nervous system has been dysregulated. And so it was, it was a struggle. And I remember thinking, I need friends that get this. And I tried the library groups and it wasn't a good fit. I was, again, I didn't belong. They didn't want me there. I was either too young, 23, 25, when I had my kids. Um, I talked too much about my schooling, maybe. I don't know. I really can't tell you why, but I just didn't fit. And I went to my Nana's one day after work with the babies. And I just finished working with a couple of really intense sex offenders. And my heart was really heavy. And I said to my Nan, I don't know how much more I can do of just breastfeeding and serving offenders and I'm always in service now and I got no one serving me and my cup is empty and I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, Janet, you know, if you are feeling lonely, it is up to you to build your community. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, I know, Nan, like I'm trying. And she's like, well, you're not trying hard enough because you're here crying in my kitchen. <laughs> like she was, you know, she fed me soup, gave me a glass of scotch and then told me to manage my expectations. And if you want something, <laughs> Shannon, you better go damn well get it. That's right. And she built the motherless baby's home in Lagos, Nigeria, when she was stationed overseas in the seventies. And so it'd be silly not to listen to somebody like that. You've yep. done it. Who'd been there, who had seen the impact that you can make by just giving a shit and building longer tables instead of higher fences. So I went home and I started a Facebook group that day. It was April 14th, 2014. And I started a Facebook group and I called it Mamas for Mamas. And that was just I wanted to build a space where kindness was the currency being used between mums. I had all the money in the world. I had all the material things I needed. I was literally like, if maybe if I give away all my things, these mums will be nice to me. Maybe if we stop selling things to each other and start giving things to each other, we'll break down the barrier of, of you know, sales and competition and we can actually just find a way to support each other. And a lot of moms at first were like, wait, I sell my stuff on, on Castanet and then I buy the new stuff. And I was like, I know, but what if, and hear me out, what if you gave it away with the understanding that karma would bring it back to you? And they were like, oh yeah, no, I, I'm more transactional than that. And I said, okay, that's cool. Join mamas when you change your mind. And it went from 32 members to like 300 members to 3000 members. And I was like, we've made it. 
Like, we've done everything we need to do. We have 3,000 members. We have at least 25 trades going on every day. Yep. Moms are getting stuff they need that they couldn't afford otherwise. Boom. Yeah. And then I kept looking. I kept looking for moms. Now it was my mission to find the moms that needed this help that didn't know where to go. So I went on this shop and swap site one day and I saw this mom asking for groceries. She was 19 years old, having her second um, single mom had already been to the food bank and was like, I need food. I don't know where to go. Right. And she was just getting destroyed in the comments. I've never seen such nastiness. It was like keyboard warriors. And then some, they were just, if you can't afford to have a baby, blah, blah. And it was, I'm not even going to repeat them because it was awful. So I messaged her and I just said, girl, what in the actual, I don't know who these people are and you probably don't either. And so you don't need to pay for the support you need with your dignity. Ever. Yeah. Let me know what you'd like to eat. I'll bring it over today. And she goes, oh my God, thank you so much. I would just love some spaghetti. Like spaghetti. And that happens to be my favorite meal. And so I'm like, damn girl, I'm gonna get you bolognese. I'm gonna get you garlic bread. I'm gonna get yes. you sides. Like I went and I spent like 250 bucks, 300 bucks, yes. like an average weekly grocery shop for a big family. And it just, it felt great. And it was like my dad buying it for her. So I was like, here pops, like ode to you, yeah. hombre. We're yeah. helping out a mama. I know you'd be proud. Yeah. And it was that drop off. It was that moment. I'll never forget it in my entire life. My kids were with me. Jacob was on my chest in one of those baby Bjorns. Jimmy was in the wagon, completely overloaded with the groceries. And when she opened that door, she was in shock. She actually 100% believed I wasn't going to show up. She is so used to being disappointed and let down that when I said, delete that post, I'll be there in an hour. She didn't believe you. She didn't believe me. And I thought, all right, my mission is now to make sure that every mom believes us when we say we got you. And now that's not just a grocery trip. That's not just a shop in the karma market. You know, we fix mom's vans when they need to get to and from work. We're, you know, two or $3,000 on a van we're spending right now to get a mom back into it because that's actually her home. You know, we have dental issues that we're covering all day, every day. We have a $3.2 million budget at this point. And we started with $300 in 2014 in the Mamas for Mamas bank account. I mean, Shannon had a bit of influx into that bank account as needed, but like Mamas for Mamas as an entity at $300 when we started from bottle drives. And I was really proud of that $300. Okay. And we took that and we grew it and we grew it and we had volunteers support and we had more and more moms join this movement just to give back. And I realized this is what I had been missing. It's not that I needed friends. I needed community. I needed connection. And I would find my friends through that network. But it is crazy when you think that, that a sense of belonging is the strongest predictor of mental health. That's Adlerian. That's the studies that I come from. And it's legit. And when you don't have connection and you don't have a sense of belonging, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter that you can put your kids in the nice school and get them the nicest clothes because you're not whole, which means your kids aren't whole. And it's not your fault. It's not like something's wrong with you if you don't know how to connect. It, we are in a world where disconnection is normal. Like Dr. Jody Carrington says, we're in the reconnection revolution. We need to make an effort to come back together. And if we don't, it won't happen. And I unintentionally created this movement of mothers coming together to stop judging and stop shaming and start really connecting around what they need, looking at your neighbor to make sure they've got enough, not to compete or to compare. And that's the shift that Mamas for Mamas brings to the motherhood community. I mean, 
I don't even know where to respond. I kind of listen. <laughs> I'm like, there's so many things here. I know. I wanna, I wanna ask a few things. I, I know about belonging myself, like, like we just briefed, you know, you shared too, that that fundamental place where you just, you know, Shannon, I knew I was meant for bigger things. I knew it. My, I had a vision of myself when I was 17 years old and I saw myself now. And that vision is the thing that kept me, I would see it every four or five years and go, oh, okay. And I had no real grounding for it. I just yeah. knew, but the shame I felt from who, how I was raised and what I was told I was and the, you know, the lack of belonging that I felt. But one thing that you said that I know resonates with so many other people and I was just saying this to my brother the other day. I said, you know, what was really hard for me in my life is that I had to sell my, my own truth to be allowed back into my family dynamic. Mm, there it is. Every day. If I was seen, if I spoke something that I felt, if it was a truth or not a truth, my, one of my parents, my father, he would dismiss okay. and we're no longer in relationship. And, and, um, there's shame with that, that feeling of, well, now I'm telling you, which might mean I'm telling the world, which might mean I'm telling mm -hmm. a whole bunch of people. And then someone's going to see it and they're going to say, oh my God, Lori, you just ratted out your dad. Yeah, I did. Well, you know, you're, you're being authentically honest with yourself. And my dad disowned me for four years from 14 to from 13 to 17. And you it wonder, happens. what did I do? Yeah. I'm a human, no yeah. biological person, mother, father does that without number one, not being stable. They, mm -hmm. they, they are lacking their own belonging. I can't yes. fault him. I can't fault my dad. I know you don't fault your father either. Nope, I but don't, not because, a bit. Because again, you know better when you do better when you know better, but yeah. he did not know better. I'm in relationship with my mom now. Yeah. I have been my whole life, but it's strong relationship. And we can talk about the yeah. really hard, messy things. Yeah. And, and, she, and I don't ask her to own it. I just say, this is what happened. And she says, I remember. Yes, you're heard. And she yeah. doesn't even ask what, I, what she can do for me. She just goes, yeah, I know. But this place of where you said something, where you said you pay for the support you need with your dignity. Yep. I did that until I was 20 years old. I married mm. my partner, Dave, when I was 20, seven days after I was 20. I Love ran it. like hell to get out of my house. <laughs> that a girl. <laughs> it was I like, get it. You know, in the cartoons where, where you see the, the hole in the wall, that's like the person yep. running. That was yep. me. Um, I really empathize with that. But, but the core of that for me, and I didn't know until last year when my whole family of origin fell apart. Mm. Um, my mom left him 51 yeah. years. Good for her. And, um, good for you, Lori's mom. <laughs> Proud of you. you, mom. You'll hear this. Maybe not. Yeah, she will. Um, but here's the thing. 
I said to my brother, I am done having to suppress who I am, having to bargain for my own soul. And my brother stopped dead in his tracks. He said, what did you just say? I said, I feel like I have to convince you, like I have to put a sales pitch to tell you, Lori Clark, she has four kids. She's worthy. I'm worthy. I promise you. I'm just saying what I see. I see something wrong. I'm saying it's wrong. I'm not going to be treated that way. There's a boundary. I'm setting a boundary. I'm not going to be ashamed for it. And I'm not going to keep living in someone else's scarcity. So I'm not going to apologize anymore and try to sell myself to get back into the family. Right? There she is. Yas queen. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. And if they really, truly deserve you, they will bring you into the fold. And if they don't, reasons, seasons, and lifetimes, girlfriend, they're there for some or all. Belonging is belonging. Yeah. Let's speak to that place of what were the grassroots for you when you realized that you belonged? What happened for you? Can you share with someone who resonates with my story, with resonates with yours and says, how do you actually create that? What did you do? I really just made it about helping other people. And it helped me when I focused on trying to help myself. It didn't work. It was inauthentic. It was not aligned. It didn't make sense. Right. When I really just focused on how damn good it felt to help somebody else out of a situation that, you know, I I had so little control over everything in my life with losing my dad. I had control over who I could help. And I had the ability to make a massive difference in somebody else's life in a way that I could thank my dad for it. So instead of it feeling like blood money, which it felt like I, you know, it was a very odd relationship with it where I wanted to get rid of it as soon as I had it because I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And I didn't want it. And if I, if I enjoyed it, that means I enjoyed him being gone. I mean, so many psychological issues wrapped up into that kind of money. Oh yeah. But I, I just thought, you know, he gave me the best gift that I could have possibly asked for. And that is to build a community without the stress and strain of, you know, I I did quit my full-time job and I was able to do so because I had the ability to fund my income myself for a little while. I did put about $150,000 into Mamas for Mamas, maybe 200,000 over time, little bits here and there. I couldn't pay people in the beginning. So if one of our volunteers was about to get evicted, I'd pay their rent or like, and it never went through mamas. I would just pay them. I would just help them. And that kind of stuff, I don't know. It, it changed my dynamic from being a victim to being a victor because I was no longer victimized by my father's death. I was inspired by what I could do with what he left behind. I had to shift and it took a while to reframe that. It really took a while and a lot of therapy and a lot of grief work. Um, and I felt guilty enjoying helping others with his money until I realized that's exactly what he would want it. Like that's what he would have wanted for me. But he would have also wanted me to look after my family and to be happy. And so building that community did all of that. It allowed me to utilize the funds in a way that I didn't feel gross about it. It allowed me to do what I've actually really loved, which is to live in kindness. And my entire life, I have had this empathy streak that I've hidden because it made me feel weak and it made me feel vulnerable. And I remember putting on special needs dances for all of the kids that didn't come to the regular dances. And I brought all of my girlfriends, all the popular pretty girls. And it was just what we did. It was like, 
let's just make sure everybody feels welcome. Yeah. And that just felt normal to me. And later on, my mom would tell me, like, I always saw that incredibly empathetic, kind soul. And I'm so happy she's here to stay because, you know, my mom is so proud of me and she's, oh, yeah. she loves me more than anything. She just never let me get away with the bullshit. No. And she and never no, let nor me, should she. Nor, nor should she. she. But at the time it felt punitive, you know, at the time it felt hard. Oh yeah. And, but she's the first one to call me out on my bullshit, but she's the first one to come to my aid, to come to my support, to, you know, when things were going a little crazy for me in a certain part of my life, she stepped in as that organizational change expert and she just made it happen, you know? And I, whenever I'm stuck, I call my mom now. Yeah. And it used to be, I called my, my Nana. And then it was, you know, I called my dad before that, but my mom has become this epicenter of hope and growth as a single mom of five who grew up saying I have an abundance of money with 32 cents in her bank account, who's now very well off and not because of an inheritance because she busted her ass, went back and got her master's, went and taught overseas. I mean, this woman speaks like six, seven, eight languages, something crazy. And she is just like, she is the, the real OG big mama. And the reason I built a community and I was able to build a community is because I watched her do it as we grew up. Even though things were a little tough with us growing up, if yeah. I had a friend who was in a safe or not in a safe place, they came to our place. They came to mama's. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I still say to this day. If you're in need and you don't know where to go, come to mama's. It just happens to be an organization now. It used to mean mom's house. And there was probably 20 kids in and out of our house throughout our high school years. She was a teacher at our high school. So she saw what was going on. She knew what was happening. I had Helena live with me for two years. Yeah. And she was my best friend. Yes. But she was also my mom's, you know, fifth daughter. Yes. That's just how it happens. My mom probably has 15 kids, actually, if you consider it in those terms. Because she looked after and raised at least 10 other kids in this community. She was a a model for you in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. And, And that's what I hear. I hear like- hugely. And I would imagine even in, let's talk about this, you know, being a victim to grief and loss. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That is something that is life-changing. When oh, you yeah. are a victim to grief and loss, and it doesn't matter, it, it doesn't have to be death. It nope. can be loss of connection with a parent or a sibling or a person. It could be a loss of a pet. It can be loss of you and I would agree on this, your own place in this world. And there are so many women and, and who are raising young children who say, you know, I was in a relationship. The father's not there anymore. They have to, they are the victim of the grief of that yes. loss of that, Hugely. of that, of that action. How do we help that? Well, you know, grief is just love with nowhere to go. So find a place for that love. You know, that's what heals you. And that for me is really what healed me was finding a place for my love. I had this heart and soul full of love for my dad. And we were just building this really cool adult relationship where we saw each other as more than a father and daughter. And I grieved that so deeply. And to this day, I wish I could tell him, but I know he knows. Yeah. You know, what we've accomplished together. He might be on the other side, but he's accomplished this with me. I think we just need to find a place for that love. And when you're hurting, the more you help, the more you'll heal. 
So would you say that dealing when you, when you get emotional, when you talk about your dad, does that grief come forward and it moves through you? And every time you speak about it, you heal. Is that? Yes. Every time. I mean, same with my Nana. She passed away in January of 2020. Wow. And knowing that they were such a big part of Mamas for Mamas becoming who she was. Yeah. But also that they were such a big part of me becoming who I was. I get to live every day making them proud. I get to live every day living their legacy, living the legacy of my Nana's picking up babies from garbage cans and behind, you know, abandoned buildings and bringing them into the motherless baby's home and raising them until they could be self-sustaining. She gave them a hand up, not a handout. I get to do that every day. You do. You do. My dad was a steward of charity very quietly in, in the legal world. He would do all the adoption paperwork at no charge the families locally. He did a lot of MCFD work. He did a lot of divorces to get rid of individuals that weren't a good fit. And those are all very expensive things that are are a barrier to to removing yourself from domestic violence, removing yourself from unsafe environments. He was a very um, quiet angel for a lot of people. And to this day, I meet new people that tell me stories about him that I've never heard before. Wow. And every time I talk about him or think about him or bring him into what I'm doing. Mm. I don't just think he's proud. I know he's proud. And for me, that's important. That's, that's the goal. That's the life goal, you know, is to make sure that, that he is connected beyond Mm. what I realized about my father was that he's just a human being and he went through things that I had no idea about and becoming an adult and having my own children I just wish I could look at him and go, ah, shit, you were right, you know? And he knows that I'm saying that from somewhere, but I wish I could tell him that that I'm sorry I didn't understand what he was going through. You know, when he disowned me, it was after my stunt, as he calls it, when I was in the suicide, when I was in the the psych ward after my suicide attempt. Um, Taking 80 Zopiclone with a bottle of vodka is not a stunt. I didn't want to live anymore. And I was pretty done with the... um, complete lack of belonging and connection. And I truly believed my family, I believed my family would be better off. I was very warped in my mindset at that point. But I remember waking up in the psych ward or in the ER and having charcoal dripping down my face and my dad was holding the cup. And he's like, drink your fucking charcoal. (laughs) He was so mad at me, but he was there. But he showed up. And in that moment, in my weirded out state, I remember thinking, he does love me. Yeah. But love is, love is a very different thing. There's a lot of young people that can resonate with me where they're like, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are when you're 46 years old and you don't, you literally say that's not happening in my life. That figure's gone because they made a choice to now I can see what a five-year-old thinks. I I literally feel it. But the difference is that they feel like they don't belong as well. Of course. The person that's not there in your life, they feel the same way that you do. And they are, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Is it courageous? Is it brave? I don't know. Oh, Lori, you just brought something up that I'm putting together and I probably should have put this together a really long time ago. Because people ask me, what drives you to help these kids? Like, 
I'm very passionate about it to the point of probably being overbearing. I am for sure definitely overbearing sometimes about it because I believe that we can do better. And oh, this is really cool. So with every child that I help, I'm healing that inner child that never belonged inside of me. You are. Bing, bang, boom. There it is. So when, again, altruism doesn't exist, Lori. There's no such thing as doing something good with absolutely no, you know, reception of something in in return. You don't have to expect it. And if being altruistic means that you don't expect anything in return, sure, fine. But you will receive something. You will receive that sense of connection. You'll receive that sense of belonging. And that is truly the richest you'll ever be, ever in your entire life. And so being able to go back and look after that little girl, that little Shannon, who she had enough to eat and she had a safe place to sleep and everything else. Absolutely. So those issues aren't as prominent, but this is why I've implemented, um, emotional poverty relief as a giant pillar of mamas for mamas, as much as the financial poverty relief. That's why we have an entire mental health program that specializes in adjustment disorders, attachment disorders, PTSD, not just postpartum depression, but post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of a variety of different things. Trauma in your nervous system mimics many, many mental health disorders. So if you're able to deal with the trauma and you learn to regulate your system, chances are a lot of the symptoms associated with other mental health issues will reduce, if not be eliminated. Yeah. You know, so that's the whole thing for me is adult Shannon finally belongs. Adult Shannon has a lot of people that are really kind to her and really welcoming to her. And adult Shannon still doesn't quite sure know what to do with that because she's still not quite sure she's earned it. She's working on it. But every day that somebody says to me, you're so amazing, it pushes me back a notch because I don't believe it. I believe mama's is amazing. I believe my team is amazing. I believe as part of a, a gestalt, you know, that I'm amazing, but I don't see myself individually as good enough yet. And that is something I want people to to listen to this again. I still don't feel like I've made it. I don't feel like I'm good enough, but I still get up every single day and I do everything I can to go from that scarcity mindset that is absolute complete bullshit because I am good enough and I am strong enough and I can do it to the abundance mindset that allows me to say that out loud and believe it. So for me, I, I, you could have just taken a page out of my book because <laughs> that's yeah. how I feel every single day. Yeah, um, but we don't need to hold on to that. No. That is a conditioned response from society. So, so one thing that I maybe could share with you is the one way that I've baby stepped. And, th- and I'm just saying this is new, new, new. So I don't have, you know, but if you were to, if someone were to say, well, how would you start believing that? I would say this. So maybe imagine right now, go back to a memory where you felt so much love. Can you feel it in your body? Bring it into your body where you loved something so much or you felt it. Okay, I can do the first one. Okay, so feel it. Okay. You just did it. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the work isn't as hard as you and I think. We are, it's not. We, we've come <laughs> from 
you know, that, that protective defensive street fighting craziness and, and been loved. I've been loved by a man who is, you know, unbelievable and our children. And I just have not ever learned to love myself. Yeah. And I'm starting, it's really slow, but where it came for me was that one moment where I went, I got to find something that I loved yeah. and where I felt it. When you can feel it, yeah. now the body remembers it. The body is the densest part of the soul. You can think something in your head, but when you really get it is when you allow yourself to feel 100%. five seconds, two seconds, 100%. Feel it, Shannon. And then tonight when you're going to bed, get yourself in that place one more time. Remember the feeling. Remember where you love something. Feel it and keep doing that every day. Yeah. Well, and another one is loving that inner child. You know, that's a hard one. If I'm talking to myself, you know, in a negative way, which I don't do anymore. I just, I already refuse to do it. Yeah, yeah. But if I find myself or catch myself being negative about something for whatever reason, I ask myself, how would I feel if somebody was saying that to six-year-old Shannon? And then I go, okay, point taken. And I won't talk like that to myself. And I don't, and when I say I don't feel good enough, I don't mean all the time. I mean, I have self-doubt here and there. But I would say when I started Mamas for Mamas, I had about 2% confidence, 90, 98% self-doubt. Absolutely. I'm at 80% confidence, 20% self-doubt now. So like we're getting there, Lori. We're we getting are there. Super getting there. We're there. We just have to get that 10% is allowed. Is it inspires us to be better to ourselves? It's right? it's perspective. And perspective is a beautiful gift at the best of times and, and needed at the worst of times. Oh, you know, essential. when I'm having the worst day and, and all this crazy stuff is going on, and I get an email from a mama that we're working with, and I get an update from her. And she is so insanely excited that she has an opportunity to get an interview for a low-income housing development. Like, it's the best thing that's happened to her. And I'm like, you know what? Today is a great day. I have a home. I've got my children. I have the the most blessed life. I juggle blessings all the time. I'm juggling, but they're blessings. And it just, it it gives you a bit of a a jolt of like, give your head a shake. Mm -hmm. You know, you're stressed out about, this, this, and this, those things are all manageable. And it gives you a sense of gratitude. And gratitude is what takes us from scarcity to abundance. Absolutely. Period. Um, this is not a career for you. This is no. a vocation, isn't it? Yeah. This is my this is my life work that I'm blessed to be able to be paid for. This is my legacy. Oh, yeah. Is to make the world softer and better and kinder for parents and kids. It's to make sure that the poverty issues that we're seeing today, our mother's children aren't dealing with in 30 years. My goal is changing the landscape of poverty and poverty relief systems across Canada. Because when you know better, Lori, you've got to do better. And we know better. So watch out Canada. We're doing better. We're doing better. And, 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 and how, how do you raise funds? What's that piece? Because you started off talking about that. And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. You have to have confidence to do that though. Oh my God. You should, the first time I reached out for help, it was, I reached out to Nikki Check and she owns like the biggest marketing co- company in like everywhere. Yeah. 
Um, and I cold called her to help me with the gala. And I was just like, hello, my name is Shannon and I run a nonprofit. It's not really a big deal. It's kind of cool. I'm pretty into it. I was wondering if you might want to help me with do to do to do. And you're apologizing for your right vocation. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. bless her. She actually jumped on right away and she's been a huge supporter since day awesome. one. But but I've had to really lean into my mentors to understand donor stewardship and how to request funds very specifically for specific programs yeah. um, that give output measures that have reporting requirements. So we started off, and I'll be I'll be pretty quick with this, but we started off doing just events. Events were the source of income. So we do a pub night, raise fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. would do a third party event, a barbecue, whatever, raise a thousand bucks, and that's how we funded ourselves from 2014, 15, 16, and seventeen. Okay. Four years. And then we met Miss Jillian Harris. And I was like, hey. hey, girl, hey, like you got us those diapers a while ago. I was wondering if you want to help me do a renovation for my office because we just got our first physical office space. Right. And she's like, oh, yeah, totally. I'll come help pick out a paint color. She comes down. The place is a gong show. It's like green linoleum floors and purple walls. And so bless her heart. She came on. And I explained to her, you know, we don't have any budget for uh, a renovation because every dollar we we bring in needs to go to the programs. I got to pay the social workers because the government won't give me any money until I can show them that I can operate myself for a year. She's like, well, that's backwards. I was like, I know, but, but it is how it is. So if you could help me with the reno, I'll, I'll try and raise some money for, for some salaries to start helping people. Sure. I ended up earning my stats through donating office spaces. So I rented out a big space and I was subleasing all of the small office spaces to local moms with their businesses. One was a sleep consultant. One was a therapist. One was a something or other coach, life coach. And eventually I said, okay, don't pay me the $500 a month anymore, but I need you to see 10 clients a week. And then you can have the rest of the space at no charge. So donating and trading again. Absolutely. And then I started to, okay, we do events, we do events. And honestly, Jill raised 72 grand at that brunch that she did with Aaron Pritchett to raise money for the renovation. And then everyone donated their product and services for a shout out from Jilly. So that was like oh, a really wow. cool way to learn about social capital sharing through social media. We didn't have yeah. an Instagram account before we met Jill. So right. launched an Instagram account, she started coaching us on how to get donated products and services. So we weren't spending the money that we were earning on those things. So that was yes. a great way to learn um, about how to keep overhead low, but output high. Right. And then we basically got a check for 72 grand at the end of her campaign. And she goes, all right, mama, start payroll, be wise. And I was like, oh yeah, I will be. I'll be so <laughs> wise. Did you just do the ugly cry everywhere? Oh, I Everywhere. Should. They have it on video. It's, it's aggressively <laughs> ugly crying in the best way because it was, she believed in us. Yes. You know, course. she believed in us and that kind of seed funding. I'd already spent the majority of my dad's inheritance by 2017. So I was kind of chopped out. I sold my house to keep mamas going in 2017. My husband and I had this beautiful home on the golf course that we purchased when my dad passed away. It was my husband's parents' house. So there was a great deal involved. But anyway, we sold it and bought a house half the size. And I had freed up that hundred and whatever grand for mamas to keep going. And then, but that was all for like infrastructure. Jillian actually helped to pay the program staff. Yeah, yeah. So we went from a budget of like $100,000 in 2017 and then we made 450 in 2018. And that was because I started doing events like the gala raised $200,000 that year, one big, big party a year. And that's non-earmarked funding for everything but the kitchen sink. Yep. And then when COVID hit, so we'd done some granting, like government giving gives us 34,000 a year from the BC okay. government. Yeah. At a $2 million budget, doesn't 
hit a whole lot, but it helps. Yeah. At the time though, 34 grand towards our $100,000 budget made a big difference. A huge difference. Yeah. So event planning was the first source of revenue. And then we had the government gaming grants. So those two things, but the government gaming grants, you have to help people under a certain income cutoff. And we help people between the 42,000, which they think is poverty and the 72,000 that's actual poverty line in Kelowna. So we help people that fall through those cracks of the government says you're poor under this and you're actually unable to house and feed your family when you make under this. So we help those in between. We do extensive resource navigation to find what's available for their income bracket. And what they're not eligible for is what we do at Mamas. We only fill the gaps. We never duplicate an effort. So the the size and growth of our programs go to show there's a lot of flipping gaps in the system. So as we identified more gaps, I went and found more money and then I hired more people. And then it was just like, there's a bigger gap here. We should fill that. Okay, we need a victim service worker to go to court with our mamas. Done. Let's, I'm like, I'll find the money. So generally Mm. speaking, we don't build committees to talk about, you know, a committee that might be a committee. We run a pilot project. We do it for about three months. And if it works, I go and find the money for the next year. Yeah. And it's just like that. So we went from two revenue streams in... 2019 grants and the gala to eight revenue streams now. And that occurred as a result of COVID shutting down events. We couldn't raise money the way we used to. No. Uh, Once again, Jillian Harris came in and and really saved the day. We lost about $400,000 in income uh, between the day COVID hit on the 17th of March when we got locked down and the 20th. All of my partners called. Chen, I'm so sorry. Our corporate giving program is, is, is done this year. Like I can't give you that 20K. I can't give you that 50K. I can't give you that 25. And I just went, okay. I understand. I brought them a bottle of wine and a mama's wine glass. And I'm like, call me when you're ready. Like call me when you're back up and running. Cause we're going to get through this. Um, I was, I was for the first time, I didn't know how mama's was going to make it right in March of 2020. And my Nana had just passed away in January. And I remember thinking, I can't fucking let this die right after Nana dies. That would no. just be like insult to injury. I can't yeah. do that. No, no. So my program director showed up with a list of 17 grants that were like private foundations and things we'd never done before. A bottle of wine and a brick of cheese. And I ate all the cheese and I drank all the wine and I did all the grants. And we got 16 out of 17 of those grants and we were back up and running in three weeks. Like no problem. You and just then ate cheese for days? I, I ate, no, I ate it. I ate all the cheese that day. Like I, I had a freaking. You know, it was a good time. I shared it, but it was a substantial amount of age cheddar. Anyway, we got all those grants. And I remember saying to Lindsay, like, okay, we can't let any of these staff go. They're going to become our clients. That's right. There's nowhere for, there's nowhere for them to go if we're not here. No. So we got to get creative. And then we also had to shift every single one of our programs from in-person delivery to online within a two week period because mom still needed help. Absolutely. So we just did it. We just nose to the grindstone, worked 20 hours a day for yeah. two, three weeks, and we just flip and did it. And then I went, never again. I am never going to let any one position be funded by one source of revenue. We now have each one of our positions, except for the back-to-work government program, Yep. four sources of revenue fund each position. Awesome. Each position at a minimum. Yep. So we've got the third-party online uh, cause marketing donations. That's about 20,000 a month. And that's our social media and partnership coordinator, Stephanie. And she builds partnerships with Hellberg and Burke. 
you know, yeah. uh, Paris Jewelers, certain portion of money from each necklace comes back to mamas. There's yes. buy one, give one campaigns. That's right. Um, you know, Indigo and Medela do, do give sure. back campaigns of uh, you buy one, you get one kind of thing. Yeah. So she brings in a ton of money, but she brought in $1.3 million of just product last year to go into the markets. Wow. And then we got a national distribution center in Kelowna so we can start shipping these products out to our other branches so we don't need to hire um, acquisition partnership people out in each branch. So that is reducing overhead that way as well. So at a $3.2 million budget this year, we have a 17% overhead, which is very low. That's all we spend on running the organization. Everything else, 83 cents on the dollar goes right to the mamas. And that is oh. very important to me. And it will yes. only get better. Yes. And the reason for that is, like I just got a new karma market donated here in Kelowna, no charge. We have a warehouse here donated, no charge. I only have one office space we pay for in all of Canada. Everything else donated for a tax receipt. And that is how you leverage donors to give in a different way. So that's another revenue stream is in-kind infrastructure donations. Yes. We have a space in Calgary donated, a space in Red Deer donated, a space in Nanaimo donated, a space in Vancouver donated. We've got the warehouse here in Kelowna, the Kelowna Chev space, and then we have we basically spend $4,000 to run five branches in infrastructure a month all across Canada. But that takes creative coordinating. Well, so and I don't vision, just ask right? for a check. And, and major yeah. vision. Yeah, I don't just ask for a check. In fact, no. I never ask for money. What I say is, I would love to give you the opportunity to be part of Mamas for Mamas because I know that you want to be the change we want to see in the world. I see what you do in the community and I want to help you do it tangibly. So yes, you right. let me know if you'd like to be a a financial donor, an in-kind donor, or maybe you want to give your time and come out and help with the farm, come and help in the market. It's up to you, but I appreciate you being the change we need to see in the world because hell, if we need it, we need it now. Boom, done. Like, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Sign me up. Right? I live in Vancouver. I- oh, girl, we got a branch. Okay, I'm going to connect you with Selena, which is also, Selena's one of my favorite stories because when you give a mama a hand up, not a handout, she will thrive. Absolutely. And I can, I can share this story because Selena has shared it and she allows me to. Okay. She was a client when we met and she needed a stroller. Her little babe, Grayson, it, it broke. She needed a stroller. Yeah. Normally we didn't ship things from Kelowna that big, but I just had a feeling about her. So I shipped her a brand new Valco stroller and nope, it wasn't a Valco Britax. It was a Britax stroller. I cannot get that wrong. No. And then she started volunteering in the garden and then she needed a dresser and our sweet little Anna got it up there for her and they built a connection. Selena has gone from a mama on government assistance with a little babe to our branch director, our executive director for the Mamas for Mamas Vancouver region, all over the lower mainland she manages. And she has impressed me. I get emotional about Selena because I see myself in her, but she didn't have the help I did. But she gave it to herself. She was sleeping on a bus station area in her teens. And that same bus station now has a Mamas for Mamas advertisement from Jim Pattison that she got donated. Like, if that's not full circle, I don't know what is. And these are the women I have the privilege of working with every day. These women have gone from poverty to possibility. And whether it's emotional poverty to possibility or, or financial, it doesn't matter. They have made themselves and their children a priority and they have made giving back their love language. And that's why they will continue to thrive. They'll continue to grow. And I will continue to have their back and to, and to look behind me and to pick them up with me every Absolutely. single chance I get because they've earned it. 
and they deserve it. And I want to. It's my best part of my day when I can help somebody else feel as good as I know they are. You know, one of the things I think is really important when you say that is because uh, myself have really struggled with shame over my years. Deep, deep, deep shame. That who I am is not worthy. Yeah, inherently wrong. I'm inherently wrong. It doesn't work. I don't work. And I, and I, and I look at that and I go, you know, um, with the information I've had and the support that I've had, I've moved myself through that. There are so many people that, that, that feel the shame, that feel that shame of, I, I must be wrong. Yeah. What did I do? What, what did I do? I must not be okay. So for you to step in and to say, you know, why it works, why from my uh, opinion, mamas for mamas works is because there's a measure of authenticity that out of your, what you've said, your own self, lack of belonging, not quite there yet on the belonging piece. That is the vibration that pulls people in this magnetic force. If you didn't, if you felt all the belonging in the world, it might not actually be as potent as it is. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, I wouldn't be working so damn hard to make sure that everyone else felt it if I was experiencing it. I mean, I didn't know the level of financial poverty that people were experiencing in Kelowna because I didn't have to access those resources growing up. Even though I was a clinician working with these families, you don't get it at the same level unless you've experienced it. And when you have people coming out of the woodwork that you know, and they're your neighbors and they are coming out and saying, I don't have enough. It is, it is humbling and it is inspiring. You know, you're not going to have a neighbor of yours walk up to your front door and say, I don't have enough formula for this week. Is there any way you can help me out? It's not going to happen. But they will go on Facebook and they will post for it and they will get what they need. There is over a million donations going on every year. A million. Like between mom, there's a hundred thousand moms on the Facebook groups across Canada. And there's, there's a thousand donations and trades every day, at least. Like it's just, it's insane. So these are women that are going, you know, I've got a, a giant cherry tree. I'm just going to put out a bunch of boxes of cherries in my front yard. Here's my address. Awesome. But there's other moms that are going, I have no beds, no bedding and no pillows. I've just left my partner. I'm in the shelter. I'm getting into my new place tomorrow. Does anyone have anything? And 342 comments later, she's got every single thing she needs and people are dropping it off for her. That is power. Oh, that's just, and that is moving through the, the, it's the courage to move. Firstly, you move yourself through the shame that, that you, you don't matter that you aren't enough, then you have the courage to say, I need something. That's that exactly is the right. sequence. That That's is. The and sequence. then, you know, and, and we had that Facebook group as the primary source of support for a long time. So it was yeah. donate, trade, support, connect. If they couldn't find it on the group, I would go find it and then post it on the group. Yeah. But there was, there was a much bigger need because no money can be exchanged hands on the group. What do you do if you're $500 rent, rent, short right. on rent? Yeah. So I started to look at the resources and I, I identified the biggest gap of all was someone to walk you through the resources, someone to help you understand what you're eligible for, 
how to apply for it, and then what to do when there's a gap. Yeah. That is where the Mamas for Mamas at-risk program was born. That's why we got an office space was because I was the social worker to begin with, meeting clients, helping them develop a comprehensive care plan. And now I have to do that, but I've also got this fundraiser I'm supposed to go to and a grant due tomorrow. So I brought on one more person and then one more person. And now we're at 42 staff and it's just growing in the most sustainable and beautiful way. Because with the funding sources we talked about before, we now have the ability to, you know, let's say one grant doesn't come through. Well, a private foundation has been applied for for the same program to cover 50% of it. So I only have to come up with that 50% of that one position instead of 100% of three positions. Right. I never count my chickens before they hatch. If the money's not in the bank, it doesn't exist. Good for you. Period. Period, period, period. That's right. You know, and so you don't spend any money that you don't have or that you don't know. Even if you know it's coming, it doesn't exist. Which makes you separate emotion. Yeah. Practical. Because that can be, that's also a really dicey issue for people who are entrepreneurs, who are, you know, that, that emotional, you run ahead of yourself emotionally and the logic, because you could help everybody in the world. Yep. That's how I raise the funds is they want to hear about the mission and the movement. I get to speak to that. And that's my power. That's my privilege. I get to go and share that they have the opportunity to make the world a better place with money they, they need to give away anyway. They Absolutely. might as well give it to someone who's going to do something good with it. They might as well give it to somebody who is going to spend 17% overhead instead of 83% overhead. That's right. And I'm not saying we do it the best. I'm saying we no. do it, we fill the gaps the best and we find what's out there the best and we will fill all the other nonprofit programs so they get higher stats. Like everybody benefits with this model. It's brilliant. Thank it's, you. It's so brilliant. Thank you. I'm pretty flipping pumped on it, you know, and then there's small events, right? Small little campaign event. We have an internal foundation that you can donate life insurance policies, um, all sorts of products, financial products that isn't just money. So that will generate additional revenue. And then number eight is our, is our social enterprise. So we have a coffee line, the mama's coffee line, Matug six, we get $3 from every pound sold from there. Um, and uh, so there's many different revenue sources. Yeah. Oh, and then we became a sub landlord in our warehouse um, to lease out two little sections of our warehouse so that even though it's donated, we're getting money on top of it every month. Brilliant. And that was the owner's idea. He's the brilliant one there. I just said yes to it. But, you know, the Why more you not? share, every, the more you every, have. Every, well, that's just it. And e- empathy is the thing. It, it, it's contagious too. Even it, if it, it someone, really is. Yeah. Even it's, if you have people that aren't all that, community and socially minded. If you're empathetic around them, they can't help but slide into it. It's so oh, I'm brilliant. I'm so glad you like it. Thank you. Aww. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just kind of common sense as I've learned in the beginning, none of this would have been common sense because uh, this is yeah. where the jewel is for me. Like, it's like, it doesn't make sense and it should never have made sense. You didn't need to see the goal or the flag before you started running. If you did, you would never have done it. You would have said, wait a minute, that's never been done. Okay, how would I wrap my mind around that? So you just stepped out 300 bucks and just doing what you were doing. And now you, along the way, the provision comes because of that measure of authenticity that you hold. Well, I, oh, I appreciate that. And I, and I agree that had I known I was signing up for a marathon, I thought I was signing up for the 100 meter race. No, you know? no. And I was like, <laughs> maybe 400 meter, like tops. I signed up for a straight up, like 
freaking like triathlon on this one. You know, I wasn't yeah. just running. Now I had to learn how to swim and bike that kind of distance as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to learn how to ask for help from people on the sidelines. And I had to accept the water they were giving me. And I had to stop trying to do it all myself because you can't train for a triathlon yourself. And you sure as hell can't raise a baby by yourself. And you sure as hell can't run a nonprofit organization that is successful like Mamas for Mamas is by yourself. It is the absolute opposite of why it's successful. Well, and, and you know that if you had seen what you are doing right now in 2014, you would have said, I got, give me a few years. I got to, I got to train. I got to get my group in a group. I got to get my body in awareness. I got to check out, you know, like it, it was never supposed to be that way. No, not never. Because it's never, you know, I would venture to say that most of the families that you help, they don't see the chaos coming towards them either. And no, so if does. they don't get the luxury, then you don't get the luxury. I didn't get the luxury. I had to, you have to, you have to go. And it yes. shows who you are. It shows that measure of, of where you sit. And I know that people are just, you know, they, they probably just so blessed by the spirit of it all. I mean, I just like, yeah. it's emotional to me because I, um, I never knew about you. I was doing a show with what the flower, um, awesome. and she was on and we were talking about her, her sweet little babies, uh, you know, his, all his allergies. And yeah. we were, we were sharing about that. And I like gluten-free and I've got some food allergies as well. And so do other people in my family. And you know, when you have to cook four meals, not because you want to, but because actually people really will just yeah. get themselves or whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> totally. I know I, what you mean. <laughs> I, I don't need, I'm not trying to accommodate people. This is actually yeah. a necessity. Yeah. Um, she told me about, about, about Mamas for Mamas. And I went, oh. Mamas for Mamas. And I want to tell you something. This is super vulnerable of me. Love it. I said, because I was afraid and I was podcasting at the time. I was in the interview with her and she mentioned mamas to mamas, mamas for mamas. And I went on and I looked and I said to myself, I would never land that interview. (laughs) Are you serious? Get out. I'm not kidding. No, I said, I actually said to myself, that is so far from where I am. No way. And, and, um, I, you belong, Lori. And so do you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know what? Fuck yeah, I do. I I set something like, and again, uh, the pain is the teacher. And it was just this year where I was, reflecting on my work. And I said, I'm done. I'm done this bullshit. How much longer do I live in scarcity? I'm not financially in scarcity. What I am is my vocation is getting, having a hard limiter on it because I feel like I am not worth it. Uh, Well, I'm sorry, but that narrative and the story is gone. And I was in this meditation, 15 minutes is all I can handle. And I was sitting there and Mamas for Mamas came up in my head. And I went, okay, this is the test. 
So I went in and I, and I DM'd and I believe her name is Christine. Yes. The calendar goddess of my life and my heart. She, I, I, I I put the phone down and then I just ignored the phone like for a really (laughs) long time. (laughs) You're adorable. And you know what? She responded and said, absolutely. And I went, oh my God. It was yep. really odd, and but it was a life-changing oh. moment because that is the truth. <laughs> that makes my day. Like, honestly, I, I am honored every time I'm asked to share the story of mamas. And I'm glad that you reached out because the worst thing someone can say is no. And the Absolutely. best thing they can say is, fuck yes, mama, let's do it. And that's exactly how I feel is, you know, we okay. need to lift each other up. We need to support each other in what we do. We're walking each other home by doing this exact thing. We're, we're instilling the importance of connection in all of the mamas listening to this, all the papas listening to this, all the people listening to this. At the end of the day, we're only as happy as our saddest mama. And we just need to keep lifting them up and supporting them and building longer tables instead of higher fences. It takes the same amount of work. It takes the same amount of material, but the outcome is ridiculously drastically different. How can I help? Join the Mamas for Mamas volunteer team in Vancouver, please. Done. Done. Boom. Done. Seriously, I'll introduce right you to Selena today. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it right now. You are going to fall in love with the team down there. I mean, every single person that works for mamas, I just, I honor them to the depths of my soul. But the, the Vancouver team it was our first team outside of head office to build and grow and do. And they're just like, they're freaking powerhouses. And I can't wait to introduce you to them. I and can't Selena's wait. down there. Okay, okay. And... Selena, yeah. my sweet nugget is having another baby in this in November. And it's also our baby. So oh, she's yes. a single mama, but she's not because she's got me and she's got 40 other staff that are, I'm going to, I'm going to just go down and spend a week with her when the baby comes. Like, of course, she doesn't get a choice. I am no. the baby whisperer. It That's is right. my turn. No, Talk no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree with you. I Oh, perfect. Actually, you're local, so I might tap you in. When I, you know, we should have a baby off. Let's be going to find. Yes. And okay. who, who's going to soothe the baby more first? 100%. Okay, Selena, if you're listening to this, which you probably are, uh, we're going to be competing to see who can love your baby the most. Well, I don't know, Selena, so I, I don't know if she's going to let me in. Oh, yeah, she will. She will now. <laughs> you're part of us now. You belong, Lori. You belong. I know that I'd love to connect with you again. I know yes, that. I would love to a hundred percent. It would mean a lot to me. And I, I really appreciate you having me on today. It's been a really, really cool conversation and connection. Thank you for letting your experience be the gateway for everyone else. Because when you share that, what that does is it makes everyone else say, that's me. Yeah. So and they can do this. They can do hard things and we, we can do can hard do things. We can do hard things and we must. We must. Yes, and we will and we are. And as long as we stick together, there is no weak link. Not at all. So I, I thank you. Um, thank you, Lori. This has been so... I can't wait to talk again, really. So thank okay. you. Thank you for coming and I appreciate it. We'll have another conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.